Last week, we looked at the lions that Daniel had to face. Uh, this week, I want to give a little snapshot, and it's got to be fairly small because there's really a lot of things we could study. But I think we're going to finish out the chapter this week with a small snapshot looking at the character of Daniel himself. Uh, many times we fear losing some of the things that Daniel was in jeopardy of losing. Uh, his job, his status, his house, his life. And Daniel showed that he valued something a lot more than those things. And because he valued that more than these things, he was able to handle his job and his status and his life in a way where they counted for eternity. For our communion meditation this morning, I want to challenge us to think about what difference our lives will make for time and eternity. A number of years ago, Merv Griffin on one of his shows was interviewing uh, a group of bodybuilders, and as he was looking at their bulging muscles, their triceps and biceps that were being flexed, he asked a very good question. He says, what do you guys use all those muscles for? And uh, one of the guys, he, he posed in whatever the bodybuilding uh, form is, and Merv Griffin says, no, no, you don't understand my question. What do you use those muscles for? And he just posed in another different position, and he says, no, 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 read my lips. What do you use those muscles for? And the guy just posed again. And I think that that is a, a great illustration of the, the, the way that many Christians live their lives. They've achieved a lot in a certain sense. They have muscles, as it were, but they don't know what to use them for. Uh, they don't have really any significance for eternity and for time, for that matter, in the jobs that they engage in, in the entertainment that they receive. They don't know how to glorify God and enjoy God and how to serve God with the things that God has placed into their lives. When judgment time comes, I believe that many Christians are going to be seeing a big fat zero when their lives, because they've been doing everything from a temporal rather than an eternal perspective. Uh, Daniel had achieved everything that uh, men and women many times desire to achieve. Uh, he had status and position, a good pay, a prominent home in the city. But in this chapter, he appears quite ready to give it all up because those are not the things that count for eternity. And uh, when you face eternity and have to give up every one of those things, your house, your money that you saved, and every one of us is going to come to the place where we have to do that, you're going to be asking yourself the question, why did I live for things that are passing, that are fleeting? What is our life being lived for? Before uh, he died for his faith, Elizabeth Elliot's first husband said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I believe that Jim Elliot would define many Christians as being fools being foolish because everything that they are striving for is building up the acquisition of things that are not going to last for eternity. And unless your heart and your mind is gripped with the desire to count for God and count for eternity, you're not going to have the inward ability to be able to take a stand like Daniel did when the pressure is on. During those crisis decisions, you're going to be making them based on temporal values rather than eternal values because that's what you're so used to doing in the present. You may have a great job. In fact, it may be greater than any job that you've had before or expected to have. But my question is the same as Merv Griffin's. What do you use that for? 
We're to glorify God in everything that we do, and the Scripture says we're to glorify Him even in what we eat and what we drink, what we say. Then you have to be able to answer that question with regard to your job. And maybe you say, I've got a crummy job, I'm looking for a better one, but you've still got to be able to answer, how have I glorified and served God in the job that I have? Has everything I have done counted for eternity? In Colossians 3, 22 through 25, Paul says, Slaves, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Uh, Those slaves doing menial jobs that other people would have thought had no significance and no glory, Paul invested with tremendous significance and tremendous glory, but only if they were living it for the Lord, if they saw the Lord as being uh, their direct boss. Outward success, immaterial. That's in God's hands. The question we need to ask is, what are you doing with those muscles? Now, I could really probably just leave the sermon at that because there's a lot just in that thought to challenge our lives. What I want to do is I want to just put a little bit of meat on the bones there by giving four values in uh, Daniel's life that I believe made the difference uh, showed the difference between a, uh, a success in God's sight and a success by the world standards. And there's other values you could throw in there, but I'm just going to stick to these four. First thing that needs to be in place is personal integrity. It's something that's hard to find in the world, and yet I think it's something that the world longs for and wishes that it had. Look at verse 2. Over these, three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. He valued Daniel's personal integrity because he knew firsthand what corruption in the government was all about. He had probably seen uh, government officials ripping off the government, and he was looking for people in whom was an excellent spirit. Verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Uh, Darius was able to trust Daniel implicitly. Uh, Daniel had a reputation where he could not be bought, and in some senses, this may have been why the other satraps hated him so much, uh, was that his life stood in such a contrast to their shady dealings. Uh, His personal integrity was a rebuke to their lifestyle. And it can almost be guaranteed, if you set high standards in your life for personal integrity, it's going to rub some people the wrong way. It can almost be guaranteed. Now, there are going to be people like Darius who will value that, who will depend upon your integrity, who will maybe advance you because of that integrity, but there are going to be people who will oppose you because of it. When I was in uh, Canada... Uh, uh, many years ago, <clears throat> there were uh, two different jobs that I had, one working as, um, in a door factory and uh, the other uh, working in a hospital as a janitor. Both of them were closed shop union jobs. Uh, they didn't make me uh, join the union, swear allegiance, so long as I paid my dues. But uh, I grew to hate some of the union jobs there because of the things that went on. And uh, one of the things, in both of those jobs, I was threatened to get fired if I didn't quit working so hard because it made some of the others look bad. Uh, Without even trying, there are going to be people who are going to be upset with you 
for not working on the Sabbath because it's a slam against their Sabbath breaking. Uh, You're going to have people upset with you over your generosity because it is such a contrast to their stinginess. And I think that is the kind of dynamic that was going on here. Verse 4 says, So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Personal integrity made those men attack him, and personal integrity was the very thing that protected him. And I want to ask you how you would fare if you came under similar scrutiny. Uh, We're so used to hearing about uh, uh, cheating and scandals and people doing this and that. Sometimes people aren't even scandalized anymore. I tried to write down on paper some of the different scandals that have happened over the past uh, several years in corporations and to people. And you could probably come up with a number more, but here's just a, a short list. Exxon, uh, General Dynamics, HUD, the NBA, uh, EF Hutton, SMU, Joseph Biden, New York Stock Exchange, PTL, Ivan Boski, uh, the Air Force Academy, U.S. Olympic weightlifting team, Keith Hernandez, Pentagon, the FDA, the National Security Council, the Hertz Corporation, John Tower, Jim Wright, the CIA, the IRS, the Boss, Chrysler Corporation, Northwest Airlines, Dwight Gooden, Uh, NASA, the University of Oklahoma football program, uh, five recent state governors. I don't think we even need to talk about the present administration. And Hauser-Busch Corporation, the NFL, United States Navy, Michael Deaver, General Motors, Washington Post, Texaco. And if you put your head down, you could probably think of a whole lot more scandals. Uh, In the last 10 years, there have been so many politicians who have been embarrassed because others have managed to dig up dirt on them. And there was dirt to be dug up. What I want to challenge you to think about is if you were running for president or you were running for some post and you knew people were going to be trying to dig up dirt on you, how would you fare? Would there be things that you would have to burn or destroy, maybe put through the paper shredder? Or have you been living your life with personal integrity that is consistent? There are many people who um, pride themselves in being publicly very upright and very discreet And yet, uh, in in terms of their private lives, there's a a huge contrast. Uh, There was a pastor by the name of uh, Steve Childers who told me about a a man and a woman who stopped at a a chicken, uh, fried chicken place uh, late at night. And the woman waited out in the car, and he went in and got uh, the chicken, and then they drove off. Now, inadvertently, the manager of that place had uh, given them the box in which was all of the money from that day's uh, uh, earnings. Uh, He had tried to camouflage it. They were about to close, and he was going to take it out, didn't want it to be noticeable, and he gave away the wrong box. Now, when they got to their place, they opened up the box, uh, no chicken, but a wad of money, and that could have been a very vulnerable point for many people. Uh, Many people said, you know, he didn't see who we were. He probably doesn't have the foggiest notion uh, we've got it made. He had never stolen in his life, and he wasn't even tempted to steal at this point. So he went back to the uh, chicken uh, fry place and uh, gave all of the money back to the manager. The guy was so relieved and uh, so elated that he says, just wait here a moment. I'm going to call the newspaper and get your picture put in the newspaper. And here's the sad part of the story. The guy says, no, 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 don't do that. And when he asked him why, he sheepishly said, well, I'm married, and the woman that I'm with is not my wife. Okay, and I think that is a a story that maybe not so graphically, but in many ways is typical of what happens to Christians. Outwardly, 
Yes, they're honest. Yes, there's integrity. If it comes to returning change that they've been over, uh, overpaid, they're willing to give that back. But when they get back into the car of their personal lives, there's corruption there. Outwardly, they may be, uh, appear to be upright and okay, but they're addicted to pornography in the secret of their home, and they're not willing to give it up. They're not willing to receive counsel and deal with it. And your problem may not be in the area of the 10th commandment and being uh, coveting your neighbor's wife. Perhaps you, you break the 8th commandment and you steal time from your employer. Or perhaps you're okay there, but you break the 4th commandment. Personal integrity never picks and chooses which laws it is going to follow. Personal integrity is a complete openness before the Lord. When we have, been, when we have done wrong, we're open and we deal with that wrong. But we seek to please the Lord in all of our lives. There is not any picking and choosing. If you live your life before the Lord, you're going to want personal integrity. And I want you to make it your goal to live every aspect of your life, or even if somebody else were to find out about it, you would not be embarrassed. Live your life as if you were running for president in five years and you didn't want any dirt dug up on you. Live your life like Daniel did. The second thing present in Daniel's life was the second thing that uh, 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 Paul admonished the Colossian slaves uh, to do in the passage I read earlier, and that is faithfulness in work. Not just personal integrity, but faithfulness on the job. In verse 3, it says he distinguished himself in his job. In verse 4, the officials couldn't find anything related to his workplace behavior that they could pin anything on him. Uh, they couldn't find him cheating on the time card. There wasn't laziness. There wasn't anything slipshod about his job. What he did, he did in a quality way, and he was reliable in his work. It says here, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Now, I'm sure they searched pretty hard, but I think the greatest testimony is in verse 22, where Daniel himself has a clean conscience. It says there, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now, you may get by with the scrutiny of other people, but how do you fare before the Lord? How was your conscience before the Lord? Do you do a slipshod job on your, uh, uh, on your work or do you seek to engage in your work in an excellent way, in a quality way? And I'm not just talking to you men. I'm talking about you housewives. I'm talking about you children. If you children have to be reminded two and three and four times to do your work, you're not being faithful in your work. If you have to be reminded over and over again, you got to do it better. You're not doing it right the first time. You're not being faithful. And let me tell you, kids, what you do in your homes can count for all of eternity if you're doing it for the Lord and for His glory. But if you're just doing it to get by in the day, it's going to amount to diddly squat. It's not going to benefit you at all. It's just going to have a temporary value. You need to seek to excel. And you wives, do you excel in your work at home when no one is around? Do you watch the soap opera all day? Or do you seek faithfully before the Lord to do your job in a quality way? Faithfulness at work. So we've looked at personal integrity, faithfulness at work. Thirdly, consistent spiritual disciplines. Daniel did not just become a man of prayer when the going got tough. Take a look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, 
And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Here's the key phrase. As was his custom since early days. He had developed a custom, a discipline, a habit of life with regard to his devotions where three times a day he always engaged in them. Now, I'm not going to deal with whether you ought to have it once, twice, thrice a day. I want to ask, do you at least have daily disciplines when it comes to your walk with God, when it comes to devotions? I am convinced that Daniel was able to stand up and stand firm on the job place because he had developed that close walk with God and his devotions. It was not something that was uh, suddenly developed uh, in, a, in a crisis type of a situation. And, you know, sometimes people think, well, that's legalistic, trying to say, you know, at a certain hour I'm going to have devotions here or there. You look at Christ's life. Look at his devotional life and his prayer early in the morning arising. You find him praying uh, late at night. His walk was not legalistic with God. I am convinced this is foundational. If we are to have a life that is sensitive to the things of God, if we are to have a life that's really going to count, we've got to have a framework of devotions. Now, a couple of things that I want to say about this verse. Notice first that Daniel engaged in civil disobedience in order to maintain his prayer time. Daniel risked his job in order to maintain his prayer time. Daniel risked his life in order to maintain his prayer time. That's how important his prayer time was to him. How important is prayer to you? Some people have pointed out that this verse does address the whole issue of civil disobedience when children are commanded not to pray in the public schools. But, you know, I think far more important than the civil application is the personal application. I think we should be far more incensed with our prayerlessness than we are with the civil government that has outlawed prayer in the schools. And yet the reverse is often true. We have prayerless people who are incensed with the government for outlawing what we haven't been doing anyway. How is our prayer life? We've got to examine how important it is to us. You see, Daniel did not start praying because the state said he couldn't pray. It was a habit of life long before the state ever got involved. You will be far more likely to do things that will count for eternity if your prayer time is more important to you than your job, is a higher priority to you than obeying the government, is a higher priority to you than your own life. If that is how important prayer is to you as it was to Daniel, you will have what it takes to be able to stand when the crisis comes. Now, if I was a black pastor, I wouldn't put up with this uh, uh, lack of response. You know, Carrie says, one of the black pastors here in town says, if you can't say amen, say at least ouch. You know, you got to respond to God's word. But uh, God requires a response from us. He says, when I call you to do something, you obey, you submit, you humbly uh, welcome what God's word has to say. Thank you. <laughs> okay, the second thing I want to point out here is that he deliberated on what he was doing. It wasn't a rash decision he had entered into, and I think there needs to be a lot more deliberation on our public and our private actions. There needs to be a lot more deliberation on our prayer life. It's not legalistic to plan and to prepare. Thirdly, notice that he knelt down. This is a posture of humility before the Lord, and I believe it needs to be reintroduced to God's people. Uh, I, I'd love to have kneeling uh, benches like the Lutherans do on the pews here because I think it's something that has been lost, a, a whole physical and spiritual attitude of humility before the Lord. 
Now, there are different postures that the Lord gives, but I find it surprising that some Christians have never kneeled in prayer in their lives. To me, that's not a good sign. I think that it's a very important and a helpful uh, model to follow. So we've looked at Daniel's personal integrity, his faithfulness at work, his consistent spiritual disciplines. Finally, I want to look at the courage or the boldness with which he identified with his faith. He identified with Christ. Now, throughout this book, Daniel was a public Christian. He wasn't private in his, in his views. Every emperor knew about Daniel's God. These government officials knew immediately all about his scruples. They knew about his prayers, his prayer time. They knew about, uh, about his obedience to God. In fact, in verse 5, they're so sure that they can nab him on this because they understand what his Christianity is all about. They say, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against them concerning the law of his God. I think it's incredible testimony. Uh, he did not hide his faith. Now, that's true in verse 10 there as well. He threw open the windows at a time when he would have been probably sorely tempted to close those windows. He engaged in prayer that was visible before others at a time when that was not a popular thing to do because it could have meant your life. He took a risk for the sake of Christ's glory. And I want to analyze that a bit. What kind of risks we take? Or what kind of boldness we have in our faith? In what ways do we hide our faith? First of all, do people know that you're a Christian? And if they do know that you're a Christian, do they see a difference about your life that they don't see in other unbelievers, in other people? Uh, when, when you're uh, listening to, oh, a Christian radio station or maybe a Christian tape or sermon or something like that, and you've got the windows rolled down, you're enjoying yourself, and another car rolls up with their windows down, uh, do you turn the radio volume down so they don't hear what you're listening to? Uh, do you, when you're uh, praying over your food in the restaurant, only pray with your eyes open? There's nothing wrong with praying with your eyes open. I do it all the time. But if your motive for doing that is shame, if your motive for doing that is lack of boldness for the Lord, you need to ask God to help you to have a visible faith before the world. I think it is so important. Christ says, he who is ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of him in the day that I come, my father. It takes courage to live the Christian life. But uh, if you want your life to count for God, I think you need to take more risks for the Lord. Many Christians are unwilling to take those kind of risks because it may mean a loss of prestige, of a job, a house, comfort, security. But you know what? In my life, I have found the times that I have done the risky for the Lord and I have stepped out in obedience to His will beyond my comfort zone. It's caused me to enter into some of the most exciting adventures with the Lord that I would not trade. Some people say, man, if adventure means getting into the lion's den like Daniel did, I don't want to have anything to do with that. You don't know what the outcome will be. You don't know what the danger will be, but we do need to take risks. Let me read you a description of a football game that Rod Culbertson gave. He said, in one of the most bizarre games in college football history, on November 11, 1939, Texas Tech and Centenary racked up an amazing 77 punts. Yes, you read it right, 77 punts. Texas Tech punted 39 times, Centenary 38 times, both hitting the all-time record list. 67 punts were made on first down, including 22 in a row in the third and fourth quarters. Texas Tech finished with minus one yard of offense. Centenary rolled up a big 30 yards total. The final score was 0-0. 
Nobody won, nobody lost, nobody took many risks. Now, I think that's the way it is with many Christians' lives. We don't want to take risks, and we gain nothing, and we lose nothing. We just sit there as a big, flat, fat, fat blah. Uh, the Lord does not, uh, is not glorified and honored with that kind of a life. And if you want your life to count for God and for eternity like Daniel's did, you do not need more prestige. You don't need more money and a more of a house and the outward things that Daniel had. What you need is the consuming desire of Daniel to please the Lord in everything that you do, to not compromise your faith at any time. And if you have that, those four things we've talked about will be the natural outflow of your life. We're not talking about gritting your teeth and trying harder. We're talking about having the presence and the power of God within you, enabling you to do these four things. See, if you desire with all your heart to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, those four things will be present. And it's my prayer that they would be so in abundance in our congregation. Amen.